Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Congressman John Joyce joins us next to discuss the tragic death of the at least 50 illegal immigrants that were being smuggled into the U.S. Congressman John Joyce, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Great to be with you. Congressman, if I could just start by getting your thoughts on illegal immigrants who were found dead while suffocating in a tractor trailer while being smuggled into the country. Uh, how could a tragedy like this have been prevented? This is really unfortunate for the illegal immigrants who suffocated to death traversing our border. But this is a border crisis that was created by Joe Biden. Joe Biden, by not allowing us to have the sovereignty of our country with the secure southern border has invited these types of egregious activities to occur. And these tragic deaths truly are the responsibility of not having adequate border patrol, adequate protection, not having a border wall to protect Americans. The poorest southern nature of our border allows drugs and the illegals to continue to pour through our country. Uh, this tragedy rests firmly on the irresponsibility, the, the lack of courage for Joe Biden for securing our southern border. Congressman, just transitioning a little bit here, uh, what do you say to the, uh, when it comes to uh, energy independence, the American people who may not fully understand the inner workings of what's driving the high gas prices, uh, oil futures, etc., et uh, who just think that it's an unfortunate situation we're in because of the Russia-Ukraine war? The rising price of gasoline is a crisis was created by President Joe Biden and his personal war on American energy. Biden, by canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, by putting a halt to new drilling leases, and by continuing to blame American companies for rising prices, Joe Biden has failed the American people, who are now paying two times what they were for gasoline before Biden took office. Congressman, if the U.S. were actually to start producing oil at Trump-era levels, uh, would this also help to reduce the cost of uh, gasoline around the world, do you think? The energy that we need to solve the energy crisis is directly under the feet of my constituents. The coal, the oil, the natural gas and Marcellus shell that is needed to power our cars, provide electricity to our grid, air condition our homes, can all be provided safely and affordably by using the resources that we have right here in America. President Ronald Reagan said it clearly, that we can have peace through strength. And in today's world, that strength is providing energy security to our friends and allies. And America right now should be doing that. It appears that uh, French President Emmanuel Macron nudged President Biden a bit on the, uh, on the sidelines of the, the G summit to start uh, suggesting for the United States to start producing oil. Uh, do you think President Biden will budge? Let's see. Let's look back at what President Biden has blamed on, on the oil and energy crisis. He blamed corporate greed. He's blamed the war in Ukraine for rising gas prices here in the United States. And he'll blame anyone and anything except for assuming the responsibility for his own failed policies. 
Now he's trying to convince Saudi Arabia to pump more oil to alleviate the crisis. You know what? Simply said, that won't work. And even President Macron from France recognized that. That's why he nudged, pushed, encouraged President Biden to produce more American oil, to produce more American energy. My constituents who can supply that energy, America what can supply that energy, also is encouraging President Biden, look to the resources that we have right here at home. We can solve this problem. We don't need to be relying on foreign sources for these energy input. Macron recognizes that, I recognize that, and clearly American citizens recognize that as well. Pennsylvania Congressman John Joyce, thank you. Thank you. The Biden administration today rolls out an action plan on abortion access. It comes as pro-abortion activists urge stronger action, and as pro-life groups say, what the administration is considering violates the law. Announcing what's called an action plan, Health Secretary Javier Becerra on Tuesday unveiled steps the Biden administration will be taking following the Supreme Court's ruling on Roe v. Wade. At HHS, we will leave no stone unturned. All options are on the table. Those actions, he says, include ensuring the privacy of those seeking abortions, training more clinicians in family planning, and expanding access to abortion pills. But one potential move is stirring controversy. Becerra says the administration is considering using taxpayer money to pay for transportation for women seeking out-of-state abortions. Yeah. Once we tell you exactly what we believe we are able to do, have the money to do, we will let you know. But until then, what I can simply say to you is every option is on the table. The idea is being pushed by some congressional Democrats, but it could also violate the law. The Hyde Amendment is pretty simple. It prohibits the use of any federal funds for an abortion or for any health insurance coverage. And here's the secretary's response to the legal question over the weekend. Assisting in transportation, something that HHS doesn't typically do. Can you do that legally? Uh, talk to me later. Uh, <laughs> while the secretary says everything will stay in the legal boundaries, Katie Glenn, the director of a pro-life organization, tells NTD that she's expecting the worst from this administration. We are absolutely concerned that the Biden administration sees everything on the table, even if it violates the actual law of the Hyde Amendment, which has been in place to make sure that we, the taxpayers, do not have to pay for abortions except in very narrow circumstances at the federal level. Meanwhile, Claire McKinney, a professor of government and gender studies at the College of William and Mary, tells NTD she doubts the Biden administration will actually go that far. Honestly, their response is rather tepid, right? They're very slow in making these decisions. And so I would be very surprised if they made any strong or radical moves to even, you know, promote something that could be challenged in the court. And Senator Josh Hawley responded to the possibility of the move being considered on Twitter, writing its legal, quote, under no circumstance. In post-Roe versus Wade America, abortion is still possible in at least half the states in our country. Colorado has one of the most pro-abortion bills in the country, allowing for an abortion right up until the time of birth. We spoke to Colorado resident Jimmy Alexander to discuss. Jimmy Alexander, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here, sir. 
So you have hopefulness on the side of, you know, people in the Christian uh, faith-based community, but you also have a lot of emotion uh, from folks that are pro-abortion. And um, I think, you know, we were just chatting earlier, um, it's not necessarily going to wipe out abortion. For instance, in the state of Colorado, there's some very, very uh, lenient, I think, is putting it mildly, uh, abortion laws on the books here that, that won't simply change. No, because here in Colorado, we recently just passed a bill because we have a uh, very left-centered, uh, left-of-center Senate and House of Representatives and President uh, and, and Governor, excuse me, and uh, they did push through a bill here that made it the most extreme abortion bill in the entire United States of America. It's an abortion bill that allows it, an abortion all the way up to the point of birth, and even at that point of birth, if the child is coming out, if the mother decides that she doesn't want to keep the child, the doctor can go ahead and cause the abortion to be finalized at that time. That doesn't sound like an abortion. No, it's, it's, it's an extremely bad thing. However, we're finding that there are a lot of people that are even on the liberal side that are finding that this is reprehensible. I think that this was pushed through not by the voters of the state of Colorado, but by the uh, representatives and the Senate and the governor of our state. And so as a result of that, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a real turnaround in the elections that are going to happen here even in this state this year. I believe on the national level we're going to see that kind of a turnaround happen too. Because uh, a majority of people don't believe in birth partial partial birth abortions. They don't believe in abortion after the 21st week of pregnancy. So I believe that what we're going to see is we're going to start seeing more and more people. People are getting a conscious, the more awareness that there is of what abortion truly is and how it's transpiring in the life of not only the mother. There are 57,000 women every year who die from abortion worldwide. And we also find that there's over 500,000 women who have to have mental and psychological evaluation and help after they've had an abortion. So this is not just a matter of an issue of abortion of the child. It's a matter of the issues of the mother as well. Jimmy, I want to ask you, we often hear of this term uh, viability, whether or not the life is, uh, you know, legally, technically uh, viable. Um, what is your interpretation of this term? Well, I would not have been viable when I was a when I was born as a child. I was a conjoined twin, and my conjoined twin died inside the womb. Today, they would have gone ahead and determined that my mother should have gone ahead and aborted me at that time. But my mother didn't do that. She kept me, and even though I did absorb my conjoined twin inside of me, and when I was 13 years old, they had to do a major surgery on me, remove parts of that conjoined twin out of me, an extra colon, a limb or two, things like that, I still did live. Because my mother felt that there was a viability of my life, no matter what, that life was valuable. I went on to succeed in life. I have a doctorate in theology. I own an insurance agency company. Um, I have an international ministry, Alexander Ministries International. We travel the world. We go to 17 countries, three continents. We've established, established hundreds of churches, Bible colleges all over the world. So God saw that there was still a viability in my life even while I was in the womb. And so providence was set into play so that I could live. And I don't believe that anybody deserves to not have that providence. Every life is valuable. What a fascinating and inspiring story. Uh, Dr. Jimmy Alexander, thank you. Thank you, sir, for having me. 
Voters are headed to the polls today for primary elections in a few states. Republicans are eyeing which seats to flip to take back the majority in Congress. And some governors are up for re-election. New York's new governor and Illinois' first-term governor will face the voters tonight. NTD's Melina Wisecup brings us more. Illinois lost a seat for this election cycle after the 2020 census, leaving two Republicans competing for one seat. First-term Congresswoman Mary Miller is up against Congressman Rodney Davis. Over the weekend, former President Trump visited the 15th district to endorse Miller. Then this Tuesday, you need to cast your vote for a truly wonderful person, Mary Miller, respected by everybody. Mary, come on up. Come the on. district that Mary and uh, Rodney are running in President Trump is very popular, and so in that particular segment of our state, I think it does have an impact on people. I mean, According to the nonpartisan Cook Political Report, five of the House seats in the state are winnable for Republicans. That's the minimum number they need to flip the majority in the House. There's also a Senate seat up for grabs. Democrat Senator Tammy Duckworth is running for re-election and will face the Republican nominee in November. And first-term Governor J.B. Pritzker is facing voters tonight. Illinois resident and candidate for Attorney General Tom DeVore tells us there's a chance for a Republican to take office after Pritzker's COVID policies alienated some voters. Governor Pritzker's been pretty hard on people. That We have a lot of Democrats in our state. I know a lot of them. A lot of them are my friends. This progressive liberal agenda that Governor Pritzker and a very small group of people that he is with have been pushing does not set well with an overwhelming number of the moderate Democrats and independents in our state. And I think it's going to have an impact this year. Another governor's race is happening in New York, where incumbent Kathy Hochul is facing two other Democrats. And to challenge the Democrats' pick, there are four Republicans competing in tonight's primary. New York Senator and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is up for re-election. He's uncontested in the primary and will face Republican Joe Pinion this fall. Colorado's Governor Jared Polis is up for re-election, too, and he'll face one of two Republicans who are trying to take office. The state also has four competitive U.S. House seats on the ballot this year. Melina, we know this year there's a trend of voters switching parties. What can you tell us about this situation? Yes, yeah, Steve, an analysis by the Associated Press shows that around 1.7 million voters have changed their political preference just over the past year, with about two-thirds of that number, roughly around 1 million voters, switching to the Republican Party, with 600,000 voters switching to the Democrat Party. And this political preference change is mostly happening in the suburb areas. The Republican National Committee chimed in on this, saying that they think this is because Democrats and President Biden are out of touch with the American people, pointing to issues like higher gas prices, open borders, and rising crime. Now, it is important to note that in historical trends do show that the political party of the sitting president tends to lose votes during the first midterm election cycle, so it is expected for Democrats to lose some seats in Congress this November. Steve, back to you. NTD's Melina Wisecup reporting. According to the Associated Press, 1.7 million voters across 43 states have switched to the Republican Party over the last year. Mark Gonzalez is with Hispanic Action Network, and he told us why he thinks the Hispanic vote is turning red. Mark Gonzalez, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's, it's really our honor. So, Mark, why do you think we're seeing such an uptick in uh, the Hispanic vote going toward uh, Republicans? Uh, 
most of the Hispanics come with that spiritual DNA in them already, and they are already conservative. The point has been that nobody's educated them on the issues or where candidates stand on issues. So we've all, we, we say it this way, we've already proven the model across America that when you educate a Hispanic, nine times out of 10, he's gonna vote conservative. When you don't educate, he's gonna vote tradition, which is democratic. So the whole point here becomes education. So I'm just curious, are a lot of these uh, Hispanic votes that you're talking about that are going toward Republicans, is it just more Republican or conservative value-based people coming out, or is it actual Democrats that were once voting Democrat coming over to the Republican Party? No, we, there's Democrats that are coming over voting for the Republican candidates. Right? We see, especially in the, you know, in the border region of Texas, is a prime example. Now we're seeing it also in Florida. We're seeing it in other parts of the country uh, that we've seen that happen as well. But the biggest one that rattled the nation and made news was, you know, there in the border where 55 percent, which is a, it's an 85 percent uh, region, Democratic region, went for Donald Trump. So when that happened, everybody was like, whoa. But we've been telling folks for a long time, if you reach out and you educate, this is what will happen. Now we, we've proven that even nationally, especially as well when that Republican mayor in McAllen, and McAllen is 85 percent Democratic, okay? won the mayorship and he's mayor, a Republican mayor in a Democratic region of the nation. So you keep saying education. Give me, you know, an overview as to what points and principles that you are educating people about. So we're always going to lead because we represent, you know, the faith community and we work with churches and so forth, leading on the life issue, you know, biblical marriage, traditional marriage, the family issues, uh, education, because we're such a family-oriented community, right? We're going to take care of our children. We're going to take care of our belief system and make sure nobody's coming against that. But a lot of times, because they're not educated, that a particular candidate doesn't believe the way you believe, but my tradition tells me this is how I vote, okay? We're not trying to convert Republican to Democrat or Democrat to Republican. All we're saying is let's vote family values, let's vote biblical values, and that we're seeing the shift happening all across the nation. Mark Gonzalez, thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.